Um, if you've got a Bible, why don't you uh, grab it and we'll go to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. John, chapter 1. And uh, we're going to conclude kind of our four-part journey through um, the traditional themes of Advent, which are peace, joy, hope, and this morning we come to love. And the idea is that in the arrival of God in our world that we celebrate at Christmas, there's a new kingdom and a new king that are in place. And this kingdom, those started small, literally as a, as a baby, as seeds, is growing all around us. The kingdom of Jesus is rising up, and it's a kingdom marked by these kinds of things, a kingdom of hope, peace, joy, and love. If we want to talk about love, um, there's one particular biblical author that's incredibly helpful, and it's the Apostle John. And uh, John wrote the Gospel of John, and also wrote three letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, epistles, and then he also wrote the book of Revelation. And so a significant part of our New Testament, where we come to learn the story and the significance of Jesus, was penned by this guy, John, one of Jesus' very first uh, followers. Now, John is famous for having a really unique nickname. Anybody? Well, he's got a couple of them. But as it relates to love, what's John's nickname? Come on. Yeah, the one Jesus loved. The beloved disciple, the disciple whom Jesus loved, right? Sounds kind of exclusive, like he's got a whole bunch of other ones, but this is the one whom Jesus loved. Um, where did John get that nickname? He gave it to himself, that's correct, right? <laughs> that's how he referred to himself in <laughs> the most read book in human history, uh, as the one whom Jesus loved. It's a beautiful, a beautiful title, beautiful nickname, and if you're going to give yourself a nickname... Um, then I think it's a, it's a good one. Um, we're going to read John's Christmas account. And um, as the Gospels are biographies of Jesus, um, John's biography begins in a really unique way compared to the other Gospels. And specifically, we're used to hearing from Matthew and Luke around this time of year as they kind of tell us about shepherds and wise men and angels and Mary and Joseph and, and all that kind of stuff, John's Christmas story uh, begins very differently. And so let's read together um, the first 18 verses of John chapter 1. And this is how he talks about the first Christmas. John 1.1, 1, 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. And in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This is a different John. This is John the Baptist. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. 
Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. What a beautiful, interesting, perplexing way to tell the Christmas story, right? But that's exactly what John's doing here. From a position of a theologian, he's describing what happened behind the scenes when God the Father sent God the Son into the world that first Christmas. And it's this beautiful, compelling picture that's driven primarily by this description of relationship. This relationship that has always existed within the Godhead. What Christians have believed for many, many centuries now is that there is one God, but that one God is made up of three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who have lived together and enjoyed one another in beautiful, harmonious, intimate intimate relationship from all eternity past. And so John is giving us a glimpse into the heavenlies and saying, before Jesus, the baby, was born, there was God the Son who enjoyed this wonderful, closest kind of relationship with God the Father. Now, in verse 18, I'm reading out of the NIV. The author uses the words, in the closest relationship with the Father has made him known. Does anybody have a more traditional translation? And what does it say there? The end of verse 18. I'm trying to get a little participation going, but we're having a hard time today. Are you reading this Gospel of John, English Bible? Are we all, we're all here together? King James, anybody have any other translation? All right. Say it again. At the Father's side, okay. That gets closer to it. That gets closer to it. The more literal translation is a word that we don't, we don't use very often, especially when doing theology or talking about God. At the Father's side, in closest relationship, the more literal reading would be in the bosom of. In the bosom of. And most of the traditional translations will use that language. That the Son was in the bosom of the Father which is really his way of interpreting how he starts chapter one. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. That word with doesn't just kind of mean next to or in proximity to, but the withness that John is speaking of is an intimate withness in the bosom of. 
this very kind of uh, close personal relationship. In human relationships, we have public and then social and then personal and then intimate space, right? The bosom, the chest, the side, is intimate space, right? It kind of, the, the image it conjures up is of a nursing mother and a newborn baby, right? The baby in the bosom of the mother, right? So we all know the bosom's, that's intimate space. Like, not many people have access to my bosom, right? <laughs> like Jen, if we're cuddling up on the couch or whatever, she'll lay her head on my chest. And obviously our little kids, you know, we'll snuggle, I'll tuck them in, hug them, kiss them. They get access to my bosom. That's it. None of you guys. <laughs> no one else makes the cut, okay? I know that's going to be disappointing for some of you, but you're not welcome here. We're not going to be with each other in that way. And you all know what I mean, right? To use this kind of language that you know, seems almost too intimate is exactly what John does when he describes the relationship that has always existed within the Godhead between God the Father and God the Son. It's in the bosom of. The closest of all possible relationships. And so, when we speak of love at Christmas time, what we are speaking of first and foremost is the love that has always existed within our triune God. Even before that angel made the announcement that a son has been born, a child has been given, love is all over this story. As Christians, we know that the Bible teaches God is love. Not just that God is loving or that God loves us, but John himself would tell us in his epistles that God is in and of himself love. And primarily, this is where all those in our culture who believe in a God get the idea that if there's a God, that God is probably a loving God. That comes from the Christianity, from the Christian scriptures. About 10 years ago, when uh, we were planting a new church in Corvallis, uh, there was this incredible sense of insecurity or timidity that I had going in as a 26-year-old church planter into, you may not know this, but Corvallis is the most educated city in the country, right? More advanced degrees per capita than anywhere else in the United States. So all of our neighbors had PhDs, right? And I show up as this 26-year-old punk rocker who barely graduated high school on this mission to change a city. And it was oftentimes a source of great fear for me as I'd get up and preach to people that are all like way smarter than me. I've just gotten used to that. Even as I've moved here, I just know that's how it's going to be. But there was this beautiful moment early on in that story where God um, brought me into a relationship with a, with a guy who was a uh, professor of nuclear engineering at the university there. Had a PhD in nuclear engineering and uh, for whatever reason had been invited by a friend, his girlfriend actually at the time, to come and to visit our church. And, um, and we became friends. And he had all kinds of really interesting, uh, challenging questions for me about Christianity and about Jesus and about the Bible. And, um, and the beautiful thing was God was using this guy's questions 
uh, to help me ask better questions and help me come to hopefully a more deep and profound and authentic faith. Um, but I remember at one point we were sitting at a coffee shop on campus at Oregon State, and I'm sitting there with my nuclear engineer friend, who, by the way, uh, was uh, an atheist and has been his, had been in his entire life. And we'd been discussing Christianity and various things related to it, and he said, as an atheist, I've always known that science can explain everything, except for love. He goes, I've always known that there's this thing called love at the center of the universe that holds everything together, and science can't explain it. Right? He had gotten there on his own. Science can explain everything except for this thing called love. And as I was sitting there, I said, well, what if I told you that love isn't a thing, but it's actually a person? And he said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, the Bible teaches that God is love. And he's the one at the center of the universe that holds everything together. And my friend goes, that actually sounds like a God I could believe in. Um, beautiful process over the next several months of him coming to faith in Jesus. Got to baptize him that Easter. Um, became, got married, and, uh, and now they've become incredibly close friends of, of Jen's and mine for, for many years now. And for him, that call to faith, that call to Jesus began with this realization that there's this thing called love that's actually a person. So Christmas starts way before the manger. It starts with this beautiful picture of a father and a son that love each other deeply, intimately, and forever. God is love. So we don't mean he's just like a big blob of love floating around in the universe. We're speaking of the love relationship between the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And so this confession that we have a God of love has been central to what we believe and how we live and our ethics and action as Christians uh, ever since the time of Christ. And Essentially, our entire statement of faith and the entirety of the, of the scriptures picture that this God who is love has therefore broken into human history and worked in our world and called us unto himself, and all of that begins with his love. So let me read to you this statement of faith by the theologian Greg Thompson, and he talks about every aspect of the Christian confession or the Christian creed through the lens of love. Listen as I read. We believe in love. We believe that God is love, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit dwelling together in eternal love for all time. We believe in the creation of love, that this world is an overflow of God's love given to his creatures, and our job is to receive that love, participate in it, and extend it to the world. We believe in the corruption of love. We understand that we've sinned, that we've disordered our loves or chosen lesser loves. We've been exiled from the God who loves us. 
We believe in the pursuit of love, the promise that God would break into this world and return us to himself and reorder our loves and that he has done this in Jesus Christ. In the incarnation of Jesus, love pursued us. In the ministry of Jesus, love served us. In the crucifixion of Jesus, love suffered with us and for us. In the resurrection of Jesus, love secured our life. In the ascension of Jesus, love governs us in wisdom now. In the Pentecost of Jesus, the giving of his spirit, love equips us for the work ahead. And we believe that in Christ's return, love will make all things new. Love will triumph. He will receive us as his beloved and transform this world into a city of love where we will dwell together for all time. We believe in love. That's what we believe as Christians. That love isn't just one of many words we could use to try to describe what God is like, but it is absolutely central to his identity to the relationships within the Godhead, within his character, and to every part of his work within human history, that we are all here as a result of God's love. And so John, again, in in chapter four of his first epistle says, this is how God showed his love among us. Okay, so God wanted to demonstrate his love. God wanted to extend the love that's within the Father, Son, and Spirit. He wanted to extend that to humanity. This is how God showed his love among us. 1 John 4, 9. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. And so here we get to Christmas. That God shows us this love by coming to us, by giving himself to us, by being present with us in our lives, in our world. This is how God shows his love, by showing up. One of the names that Jesus was prophesied to be known for is Emmanuel. God with us. God's love coming down to us. So what is love then? To love is to give of yourself. To love is to get involved. To love is to enter the world of the other. To love is to be with to be present. For God to love us means that God is with us, fully present with us. C.S. Lewis once said that love is not an, an affectionate feeling, but a steady wish for the loved one's ultimate good as far as it can be obtained. Right? And so, when we come to Christmas, right, and we know that this is a season where words like love get thrown around a lot as we spend time with loved ones. We express our love to one another uh, through gifts, right? And um, there's just no way to say this without being cheesy, but if this story is true, then love isn't about presence with a T, right? Love is about presence 
with the CE. It's not about stuff. It's not that God so loved the world that he gave us an iPad. It's that God so loved the world that he gave his son, that he has given himself to us in Jesus. And so just as a real practical pause, um, for many of us, even those that have been participating in and considering the practices of Advent conspiracy, um, and I would think especially for young parents, um, we can come into this season feeling kind of guilty and down on ourselves because we simply can't afford to buy our kids all the awesome stuff that we wish we could. Or maybe there's other people in your life, life a spouse or other loved one, that you wish you could express your love through something that costs a whole lot of money this Christmas. Now, that's great. If you are giving expensive gifts to one another, continue to do so. But I hope that we don't confuse spending a lot of money with love. That's part of what the conspiracy we've been part of is all about. It's not about presents. It's about presents. The best gift we can give to our kids, to our spouse, to our loved ones, is the gift of ourselves in relationship. The gift of our time the gift of our listening ear, the gift of our faithful and loyal companionship, the gift of just going and doing something fun together. And so I just simply want to say, God doesn't demonstrate his love to us by giving us stuff. He gives us himself. And so don't fall into a place of self-condemnation or self-pity or guilt or something like that if you aren't able to buy all the people around you all the stuff you wish you could. Give them you. It's the best gift. And so, if to love is giving of ourselves, we can start at the Christmas tree, but obviously that extends to all of life for us. An invitation to give ourselves away, to show up, to be present with the other as God has made himself present with us. I want to uh, invite uh, a member of our church here to come and to, and to share a little bit of her story. Meg, you can come on up. And... Um, I uh, had the chance to have coffee with Meg this week and hear a little bit about one of, some of the ways that God has her uh, in a really surprising and unlikely situation where she's getting to practice this kind of love. So this is Meg Bothine. Why don't you welcome her? She loves public speaking. And uh, Meg and her husband Jeremy and their family have been part of Antioch for several years now. And, um, and if you're friends with Meg on Facebook, then you know some of this story <laughs> just because it's, it's made the rounds. But I just want to ask you a few questions, Meg, about the last month. And uh, your life has changed pretty significantly in the last uh, 30-something days. So tell us a little bit about what's going on. Yeah, 32, actually. Um, so 32 days ago, the... And I, like, I say don't cry when you go up there, but I'm a crier, so just bear with it, Um, please. So 32 days ago, the kids and I were leaving a local store, driving out of the parking lot, like so many of us do at this store, and see um, people parked. And I uh, drove out, headed to get a red box for a small group that night, and saw a young family, or a mom, a little girl, and what appeared to be their belongings strewn all about. Uh, the parking area, 
And um, I got across the street and just felt this uh, very extreme conviction to turn my suburban around and go back. And, um, and I, my oldest said, Mom, what are you doing? And I said, I'm going to go back and talk to this family. And he said, I said, I think they're homeless. And he said, uh, they're not homeless. They have a kid. Um, lesson number one, <laughs> homelessness has no age requirement. Um, <laughs> so anyway, went back, rolled my window down and said, is there anything you need? And she said, uh, no, I think we're okay. And I said, can I go buy you dinner? And um, she said, we have food stamps. We don't need food. So um, anyway, figured out some things I could do. So went across the street, got some supplies, went back over, uh, delivered those, and um, just decided to ask some questions and learned that they are indeed homeless. They had been living in their car for some time, had done some traveling in this car that, by the grace of God, was still running. Um, at night, their belongings come out so they can sleep in. Their car had ran out of gas that morning. Um, at 4 a.m., and it was 27 degrees. Um, and so he returned formula to go to Arco to get gas. So, um, yeah, I just asked questions, and I don't know why, but I asked for her cell phone number, like she's going to give it to a stranger, and she did. <laughs> and um, said a prayer and went home and spent two hours crying and wondering, what do I do? And told my husband, and he said... I don't know, let's just pray about it and see what God does. And so I sent a text message to 12 friends saying, um, God doesn't want me to rescue this family single-handedly, nor does he want me to give my money to them. Um, but if you guys could pray. And so I thought maybe God would mobilize this incredible, like, um, just prayer warriors that can pray for this family in a night. And if he can move mountains, he can certainly keep the, ga or keep the car running. And what he did was mobilize an army of uh, generosity. And so for 32 days, not only have we provided for the physical needs of this family, um, which I have learned homelessness isn't about, um, well, shortly after this, just side note, we started the Advent um, little path the kids got at, in their program. Yeah. And the first day was Isaiah 58. So it basically says, clothe the naked, feed the hungry, shelter the homeless, and care for your family. And it doesn't say those you gave birth to. Um, and so right away I thought, this is my family. These are God's family, and we are all his family. And so I felt like it was so clear to me that I needed to love on these kids and their babies. And um, so homelessness isn't just about clothing and feeding and sheltering. Um, it's... We, we got through the, the glory time, and then it got, the pretty went away, and it got kind of ugly at times, and frustrating, and exhausting, and um, there's habits in place that we can't break by feeding them, um, and so there's systems, and there's resources, and as an educated, almost 40-year-old, financially stable woman, I am hitting so many brick walls, and the girlfriend that is... Um, I'm not alone in this. I have a very dear friend that is by my side as well. Um, we, are, we have hit so many glass ceilings and brick walls and nose and doors closed and literally no room at the inn, figuratively and literally. Hmm. Um, and so I don't know how this has happened, but they have been in a motel now since that night. Hmm. And I have not paid for one night in that motel, but somebody has, hmm. and not the same person. People I don't even know are supporting these 
these people or this family. And they are 23, 24, two years old, 10 months old, and um, she's pregnant. So anyway, does that? Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Quite a month. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it feels like it's been months, and 32 days isn't that long. And it's amazing what has happened in such a short time. Yeah. And so you and a whole bunch of other generous people yeah. have kind of rallied together mm -hmm. to try to say, we want to make a difference in this family's mm -hmm. life. We want to care for them. And yeah. you actually have a young, pregnant yes. <laughs> woman and her husband yeah. at Christmas time trying to find a place to stay. Mm -hmm. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. And so now they're in a home. They're in, well, they're in, or a, in a motel. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, they're, they're not in their they're car. They're under a roof. They're under a roof. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, Meg, tell us a little bit about what's been happening in you as you've been involved in this family's life. Um, so, a simple act in obedience, I felt like was, that was it. Like, I was obedient to turning my suburban around. And, um, but what God did after I turned that around is he said, abide and remain. And um, stay the course with this family, and I don't know how to do this. I've never been homeless. In fact, I've never looked even remotely through the lenses of their, of their glasses or their eyes. And, um, but he has said, stay. And like I said, when the glory of giving goes away, the grind begins. And um, so it's, I, Jeremy loves when I say this, but it's easy to give money because you can make more, right? You can, <laughs> there's always ways to make money, yeah. um, which isn't, it's not that simple, I know, but um, when I give my time, when I say yes to one thing, or when we say yes to one thing, we're saying no to something else. And right. so when I say yes to spending four hours looking for a motel, I say no to my three-year-old napping, which is a little bit of insanity for a mom. Um, <laughs> and, you know, just the, when I'm on the phone all day long, uh, and my kids say, can you read to us? And I say, I, I need to return a phone call to Neighbor Impact. Now they might get a place tonight. Um, I feel like God is just saying, just abide now, Meg, and remain with this story. Yeah. Um, the, the, other, the other piece, the other way I feel him working is, um, you know, he, he freely gave, or free, we freely receive, and he says freely give. Yeah. And so I am learning that that giving isn't, it's not easy, and it's not always pretty. Um, yeah. And it's so easy for people to look at this situation and say, you're such a gift to them, and that is not what God had in mind. I feel like they are a gift to me, hmm. and they are a gift to this community that we love to, we say we love to give. We have a community of these amazing resources, and... By, by God giving Ben to this young family, um, people have a way to give now, and um, it's taking a lot of work to access these resources, but I'm meeting people that can lead me to them, people in Antioch that will make a phone call for me that I did not know. I didn't know them. Now I know them. I call them friend, and they're reaching out to their friends just for this young family, and um, there's no high fives in the grind of giving. There's no pats on the back. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so I, the, um, giving, giving beyond the glory time totally. is, is really, it's hard. Yeah. It's really hard. Yeah. yeah. Why are you doing this, Meg? Well, I, uh, I, I think first because I want to, 
I feel like I've always been, um, I've always had a heart for the least of these, and they've always caught my eye. Um, I haven't always said yes to turning my suburban around, um, but this time I did. And now I'm doing it because uh, I, I feel like God, like God gave to us so we could live. And this is a really very tangible example of that, that these young kids living in a car compared to their, their lives really isn't a squeeze for them. Like, it was consistent, and it was relatively safe, and they were together, um, but it's no, way, no place to raise a family or live out of marriage or build friendships or get ready for work. Um, and so I feel like through this process, maybe this family has a chance to live. And I've had a lot of people say, what if they leave town? And I just start saying, what if they stay? Like, what if they stay? What if they build their life here and their babies graduate from high school here and they retire and they stay here? awesome. <laughs> so we have this picture of love in, in Christ that looks like showing up, yeah. simply being there, giving in relationship. And um, there has been financial investment. There's been an investment of time. Um, but first and foremost, this, this family has received love in the form of mm-hmm. you're there. Mm-hmm. You're with them. You care. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and that's what love looks like, right? Yeah. So, beautiful story. Thank so you. proud of you. Thank you. <laughs> um, what are some of the needs that this family has that, that you and, yeah. and your crew are trying to meet? And if anyone here wants to get involved, what yeah. would that look like? Um, so obviously their needs are like ours. They need um, household items. Um, I don't know the best way to get a list of those tangible needs, maybe through you or Evan, um, but they, need, they have tangible needs. I think the greatest... Um, one of the greatest needs is they have learned not to trust um, because people do this. They see this hurting family and they rush to save and then they're like, this is really hard. Let's just hang our coats up and go back to our life. They won't know the difference. Um, And so they have a need for relationships and they have a need for friendships and for mentoring. How do you do do adulting (laughs) when you're 23 and 24 and no one has ever shown you how? Right. Um, how are you a wife and a husband and a mother and a father and a friend if no one's ever been or shown you or been that in your life? Um, they are young, but they are married, and they have two babies that they're never away from, and they don't trust anybody to care for their babies, but to just have time together. So people to come into their lives and give them the space, like watch their babies. Yeah. Um, he's working really hard to get a job, and um, he's willing to do anything. Okay. And when, yeah, he's, there are jobs in this community and he's willing to do any of them, but it's hard. It's hard when you don't, can't clean up very easily, when your car breaks down. Um, they need prayer. That's a big, right. that's, that, I think that's first and foremost. And then my, what's been on my heart too is um, not everybody that passes a homeless person or you walk by someone that's kind of down on their luck, not everybody is going to turn and reach out to them and have the same experience. I know that. Um, but there's so much more than meets the eye. Yeah. And I think just um, saying yes to God's request for obedience in those moments when you feel compelled and convicted to turn and ask questions, they don't have to answer. Yeah. She could have said, lady, go away. But she didn't. She welcomed me and welcomed my questions, and it's turned into a friendship. Yeah. And we had coffee yesterday <laughs> just because. Awesome. So. So cool. Yeah. Thank you so much yeah. for sharing your story. Thank you. And thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Meg. Good job.
So hopefully you're feeling really good about yourself right now. <laughs> no, it's, this is this beautiful story, and, and uh, I hope that some of you maybe hear something there that you're like, oh, I could get involved and help with this specific uh, love operation here in town, and I hope you will. But more importantly, the idea is um, Meg was paying attention that day as she was leaving the grocery store, and God brought that family uh, within her line of sight, and she did something she wouldn't normally do in response, uh, in a response of obedience and faith, not knowing where it was going to go or what was going to happen. Um, she simply said yes to love, right? And so um, it's going to look different for all of us. The way we live this out at Christmas and in our day-to-day lives, at work, at home, with our friends, with our families, and even kind of the grand uh, scheme of, of where we're headed in life and our vocation and career, this looks different, but you have, to, you have to catch this picture, right? That God is a God of love who shows his love to us by showing up in our world and then calls us not only to be recipients and participants in that love, but to become those who would extend that same kind of love to those around us. To love is to show up, to be present, to get involved, to give yourself away. And we do this in millions of creative and prophetic and unlikely ways. And we also do it in really regular, ordinary, unglamorous parts of everyday life. This is what we believe. We believe in love. There's uh, an invitation that we have for you this morning to come to the communion table. And um, as Christians, we don't take communion. We receive it. We don't have to pry love out of God's clenched fists, but we simply receive it as his gift, as his life, as his very presence. And I'll lead us into the table with this. There's one other place in John's gospel where the word bosom comes up. And it's in John 13, which is moments before the Last Supper. As Jesus has invited his disciples together to spend one last meal with them and to demonstrate his love towards them. So again, when Jesus wants to show love, he doesn't give a theory. He gives a meal, a table, an experience together. And in John's gospel in chapter 13, it reads that now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. So he starts the story by saying the son is in the bosom of the father. And as the story plays out, John the beloved is in the bosom of the son. Yeah, so try that at Christmas dinner this week. <laughs> Choose somebody, cuddle up, all snugly. It's biblical. But that's the picture. They're literally there. Two grown men at a table. And John the disciple resting his head on the chest of his 
Rabbi, Lord, Savior, but ultimately the lover of his soul. That same meal is what we are invited to receive this morning. And not just the same elements of bread and wine, but that same intimate encounter with the God who loves us because he is love. Who would invite us to bring our whole self, all of our guilt, all of our shame, all of our fear, all of our doubt. I know that there's those in this room this morning who have loved ones living their last days this week. I know that there's those in this room this morning who are awaiting the test results. I know that there are those in this room this morning who are anxious and terrified at spending time with family members who have deeply hurt them in the coming weeks. And I know that there are those in this room this morning whose faith is on literally just hanging by a thread. We're having such a hard time clinging to anything and Jesus, in love, would say, I want all of you. Bring your whole self to me. And I don't just want a public relationship or a social relationship and not even a personal relationship. I want you in my intimate space. I want you at my bosom. I want you to be as close as two souls can possibly be with me no matter who you are or where you've done or what you're thinking or what you're struggling with. And so we, along with followers of Jesus for centuries now, come to this table, not simply symbolically but sacramentally, believing that in some sort of mysterious, hard-to-explain way, the very real presence of Christ dwells within these elements. That we come not just out of ritual, or symbolism, but we come to truly commune with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And so Katie and the band will come and lead us in, um, in several more Advent hymns. And we have an extended time of worship. We sort of swapped the service around, if you didn't notice, and didn't do much music on the front, so we can create space now for you to do so. And I'd also like, like to invite... Um, those that would want to receive prayer this morning to, to come and to do that as well. And uh, they don't know we're going to do this, but our elders and any members of the prayer team, um, I'd like to invite you to make yourselves available. And why don't we do it at the two exit signs right there, kind of at the, the back of the aisles. Have uh, three or four elders, prayer team members at each of those. And if there's a place in your life where you'd like to receive prayer, then during this worship set you can, you can go and do that as well. And so, um, anything I need to know about table 11? Okay, sounds good. So we've got some gluten-free options. Juice, if, you've, uh, if you prefer, over the wine. So, uh, why don't you stand with me? We'll pray, and then at any time during this worship set, you can come, receive communion, or go receive prayer. Our Father, we are so incredibly grateful, first and foremost, that you are a God who is love. Even before the creation of the universe, you have always been love. And that out of that love, you've created us, 
You've pursued us. You've come into our world. You are here with us today in your church. You've given us your spirit to live the life of your son. And one day, we know that in love, you're going to make all things new. And so we are a people in need of your love. A people longing to be able to name ourselves the ones whom Jesus loves. And we receive that as our greatest gift today, that you have given us this name. Our whole self belongs to you. And we invite you into the deepest, darkest, most intimate places of our hearts and lives, knowing that you always relate to us from a place of love. So we are not afraid. We belong to you. We trust you. We welcome your presence in our hearts, in our families, in this church, in this city. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.